glad you could join us for episode 100 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. 100, My name is Dave. 100, 100, 100, 100. Yeah, you know, we're going on, it'll be three years this July, the beginning of July, and wow, I'll tell you, I mean, I certainly thought about 100, but whether or not I really thought we would ever get there, I mean, you know, it's... Because it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of weeks when uh, you're tired and... It's it's a commitment, man. It's a, it's a commitment. It's a relationship, bro. Yeah, it is, and it has been a blast. But uh, obviously, my name is Dave, and co-host Wayne uh, just did his rendition of episode 100 as we gear up for another look this week at the superhero and the sidekick. As tonight, we continue our discussion of James Cameron's cyberpunk series, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly, as we move through the second half of season one, and we're getting near the end, Wayne. Yeah, getting close to the end, only a couple more to go, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, I thought, we we talk every week, pretty much, or at least, you know, mention at some point the the cyberpunk issue, and and I thought, really, this week, that gritty cyberpunk feel is just really prevalent in, in this one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and again, it really struck me about the the outdoor sets, especially. And, you know, you were mentioning when we talked about this before that, uh, you know, they do recycle and I guess any TV show recycles as much as they can. But it's pretty elaborate. And I guess with James Cameron attached uh, money, I don't want to say money was no object, but because I don't think he was funding the show. But still, right. I mean, even big hour long dramas, you see, there's not really a lot of. Uh, necessary variety and they have you know a couple sets maybe to think about like a law and order a castle and everything that um but it's still all you know it's but certainly at the time is impressive with the amount of exterior shots that they do and i, I just some of them i said before look slightly familiar maybe but uh, they at least change around enough to give that like you're in a different part of the city a different place and everything Right. And just so much detail. So, but anyway, listen, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci fi TV rewatch at gmail.com, the website at fatalist.podbean.com, where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab. You can also record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at sci fi TV rewatch. And hopefully, you'll consider joining the Facebook group, sci fi TV rewatch, because discussions there Wayne have really been picking up lately and you know while iTunes the website and Stitcher have been the primary access points for for the podcast you'll soon be able to access us through audio metric and we'll have more details on that soon really really exciting times and you know before we get into this episode of Dark Angel you you know we talked a little bit about the CW show The 100 last week and we want to talk a little bit just about the sci-fi series 12 Monkeys tonight and you saw the movie way back uh, gosh I was it like around 2095 I think or 96 95 oh my gosh I'm, I'm not don't quote me on that but I think I'll look it up real quick but continue okay right with uh, Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis and and you know again uh there aren't a ton of time travel movies out there. I mean, certainly there are some, uh, you know, time cop is one that comes to mind, but this is another really, really good genre show. And in this case, specifically sci-fi that nobody's watching. I mean, we talked about the hundred 
and the numbers are decent. And certainly they've been decent enough to get a season three and they are over a million and a half and uh, not really reaching 2 million, but 12 monkeys on sci-fi has been down around the 650,000 mark, which uh, I don't know about you, but it's making me a little bit nervous. Again, I guess kind of it's like who's producing. Well, this is a sci-fi original though, right? Because like Lost Girl pulls down those kind of numbers and it keeps coming back because you know, showcase is producing it. So it's no sweat off sci-fi's back. Um, I don't know if they're going to stand for those kind of numbers from a show that they're putting the bucks up for. Right. And I mean, I understand that time travel tales bring with them, you know, a certain complexity that even hardcore sci-fi fans often find problematic. And, and certainly no one can accuse 12 monkeys of offering up a simple story arc. And, you know, so just to throw out there, if you don't know what the premise is, we're in 2043 and like 90% of the world's population has died because of a man-made virus that was released. And the idea is to go back in time and stop it from ever happening. You know, the, and, and one of the things that's great about time travel is the, the person who's running the show, whether it's the show's creator, showrunner, or whether it's the person that wrote the script for the film, you know, they get to decide on the rules of time travel and the, and those rules are different and not every time travel show uses the back to the future model which is heavy on the grandfather paradox right, right? if you go back and kill your grandfather then you'll disappear and, and i think most serious time travel that we see uh you know in the last five years or so really ignores that uh yeah because look continuum toyed with that and then they disproved it completely right because uh right the Oh, I can't remember the character. They killed his grand- oh, Kellogg. They killed his grandmother died. And so he's like, right. for a second there, he's expecting like to be zapped out of existence or something. And he didn't. So it's like, well, clearly time is somehow maintaining itself. And that's, I think the thing about 12 monkeys, which seems to be this continuing theme now is that no matter what they do, there's no way they're going to change the, pa- which was a big thing about the movie as well. Like no matter what you do, the past is, it's the past. It's already done. You know, like you can't change it. And probably the stuff you do, you've already done. And maybe even what you did to stop the, the future from happening is the thing that actually brings the future about, right? So right, it's all right. these like mind-blowing things we're seeing like every single week. I think the one where the uh, they're, they're, the, the place was under attack and, uh, and we see, um, you know, Cole's buddy like is caught in a firefight and we assume he's killed and then Cole realizes oh wait no that's that's me future me going back and save you know it's just like these trippy bendy things it's it's awesome I love it it's every every yeah. week it's like that right and now I am questioning how they're going to carry this forward into multiple seasons uh, you know, are, are we going to get to end of season one and they still really haven't been successful? I mean, it's certainly turning out to look that way. Or are they going to go back and just try to right, you know, certain wrongs? Now we're talking, uh, we're looking at, uh, gosh, what's the Scott Bakula show? Why am I uh, drawing blank on that? Quantum Leap, which is kind of the premise there. But the other thing about 12 Monkeys, it, it, they're all. I don't want to say unknown actors, but they're certainly little known actors. And, and I really bonded with them right away. I, I mean, they really are good. Yeah. I mean, the only one is Cole because 
Well, you know, you, you get these preconceived notions. And, of course, the two biggest ones are Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt, right? I mean, you got those guys looming over the show kind of like these giant pillars that they always have to look back on. And I like what they did. They went with a guy who couldn't look more unlike Bruce Willis if you tried. Um, he's got, he played Pyro in the X-Men movies, and but he doesn't even look like that, you know. Um, so, and then the, the, the character that Brad Pitt played, they got a female to play. So I think they kind of purposely went with people who, like, you can't even really compare them at all. So then that discussion is just kind of killed right from the onset and everything. This is a completely, two completely different characters that don't even, don't even think about trying to compare them to the guys who, who played them in the movie, who are both kind of iconic type actors. Right. And really outside of Kirk Acevedo, who plays Ramsey right. and, you know, sci-fi fans will re- remember him from Fringe. The rest of them are, again, uh, uh, relatively unknown. I mean, I certainly didn't know any of them. Yeah, no, yeah, Kirk yeah. Acevedo, big fan of his from Fringe. And also he was in the Band of Brothers as well about. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like, I forgot about like, that. That's like 15 years old now, which is crazy to think yeah. about. But yeah. But anyway, uh, you know, if you're not watching it and you really want something that's thought provoking and will, you know, cause you to run and grab a few ibuprofen after most episodes because your mind's going to hurt trying to keep everything. Well, what in you place, should do but- is hang around and watch Helix afterwards too, which I know you don't watch, but it is a really a great show as well in its own right. So, but anyway, let's get to Dark Angel and and you know, last week we talked about jessica alba's current projects so i thought tonight we should take a look at michael weatherly's current projects and the only problem with michael weatherly's current projects it's just ncis and granted that is a juggernaut of a show i mean it's in its 12th season uh and they're doing 24 and sometimes 25 episodes i mean they're on a down week they're bringing in 17 18 million viewers so with that many episodes i mean that's easily over half of his year so you know, I get that maybe he doesn't want to work the rest of the year, and, and certainly I would think financially he doesn't need to. But uh, somebody asked me when I mentioned that to them today, well, do you think he'll you know, be able to get something when NCIS ends its run? I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? He's awesome. Yeah, I've never seen NCIS, but obviously to be a main character in a show that long, he might not get gigs in movies, but... Yeah, he's probably got a solid TV career laid out for him, even post NCIS. Oh yeah, and I mean, you certainly see similarities. I mean, look for me, I, I've seen all 220 episodes of NCIS multiple times, and and then I saw Dark Angel, and I certainly see similarities to the characters, but. Tony Dinozo in NCIS is so radically different than Logan Kale. I mean, Logan Kale is just dead serious all the time, as opposed to Tony in NCIS. I mean, he's a real jokester. I mean, he is a top-notch agent. But yeah, he he pretty much got the NCIS gig like right after Dark Angel too, right? Right, so, right, yeah, right. So he's been you know solidly working for a long time now. Now, the other thing I didn't realize is that he and Jessica Alba became engaged in 2001, uh, ended the relationship in 2003, and now he's since been married twice and has a son by his first wife and a son and a daughter by his present wife. That's kind of, I shouldn't say weird. I mean, I, I guess co-stars yeah. date and become engaged all Young, the time. Young, attractive but I, people. Yeah, you're working together yeah. closely. Yeah. 
Yep. Now, the other thing is he was nominated twice for a Saturn Award in 2001 and 2002 as the Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Logan Kale. And Ooh, the Saturn eh? Award. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the sidekick. Uh, the Saturn Awards presented annually by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. And, you know, it's a pretty big deal in the sci fi community. Uh, he didn't win either time, but again, just to get nominated. So. Sure. That's pretty that's cool. So, yeah. So in terms of uh, Michael Weatherly, that's pretty much it at this point. And I'm sure when NCIS uh, finally goes away, and and again, I'm, I think, I, I know just from Facebook comments, Twitter comments, that, that a lot of our Dark Angel fans are also NCIS fans because Michael Weatherly, to a large extent, plus it's an awesome show. But we didn't have any listener feedback per se, but I did want to point out that you know last week in the Facebook group, uh, Gabby posted some great points about individuals coping with thoughts of suicide and despair you know, after our episode discussion in which Logan considers taking his own life. And, and obviously, it's not a topic that we enjoy talking about, but it's an important issue nonetheless. And, and, you know, another reason Dark Angel is such a great show and such really an important series that obviously so many people don't know about. I mean, it's amazing how many people I talk to have never even heard of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd never heard of it until you said, hey, let's do Dark Angel. And I was like, what's that? Um, but yeah, it's a really good show. I, I, and yeah, it's just, you're right. It's, I, I wonder if it's like too many shows to be cult cl- status you know like it was too successful to be labeled a cult show um not enough to to have like you know a lot of mainstream support there or something like that but uh you know yeah yeah 43 episodes yeah we put the good word out there you know you never know maybe it'll catch on what you know it'll catch on is they put on freaking netflix why is this show not on netflix right like good point all these shows that are like kids are finding now um i remember like after Fringe ended, my nephew, who was like 21 at the time, comes up and says, have you ever heard of this show Fringe? I'm like, uh, yeah. He just found it on Netflix. It looked cool. He started watching it, realized how awesome it was. I mean, these that's how these shows find a second life, but not if you don't put it on Netflix. I don't, like, what are they doing with this show? Like, it's it's nowhere. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Amazon. You, you can't get it anywhere. You, it's it's crazy. Like, put that put it out there, man. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I mean, there's got to be a reason somebody that owns the rights to it won't, you know. Do they but, not uh, want to make – I refuse to make money on this show. Well, you know, it did show up on the L Ray Network. Now, I have the L Ray Network on my cable system, and it is a – you know, it, it's it's a little network, and, the, and they don't really even have that many shows that they run in syndication, but they did have Dark Angel, and I notice it's not running now. It ran for, I guess, a couple months. But who knows? Well, anyway, why don't we get to this week's episode, which is number 16 of season one, and it's titled Haven, directed by Michael Rhodes, and it was written by Jose Molina, who also wrote episode eight, Cold Comfort, and he wrote the teleplay for episode 11, Red, and the story for episode 13, Rising, and the air date on this episode was March 27th, 2001. So we got the opening scene and Max and Sketch are in line for gas, which he's planning to use in this elaborate four-way trade so that he ends up with a pair right, of shoes. It was, and tough, actually, it was <laughs> difficult to follow that. I mean, I kind of got that you know everyone's going to barter with everyone else, but it was crazy. It's funny. Yeah, but, and I think it just brought home that, you know, 
Sketch isn't the idiot that he appears at times, you know, because he's got this, again, look, it's not that complicated, but still, it's it's all the signs of a good businessman. And the other thing, though, that strikes you in this is that Max seems really happy with her plans for her gas, which is simply to get out of the city for a little bit of rest and relaxation. Yeah. And what we also see here is more this overt evidence of the police state. I mean, the police are the ones that are handing out the gas, and it looks like taking bribes as well, right? Yeah. And I guess it becomes a question, are the refineries just not producing gas quickly enough, or is it just a means, like you you mentioned, of controlling the people? And, and we don't know at this yeah. point. My my suspicion is it's a means of control. But, uh, but, but we know things are kind of rough all over and that people are living rough and that there's not a lot of commodities and trading and business going on out there just in general. So, um, you know, just scarcity could also be a very likely explanation, as you said. We next see Logan on the f- phone with Matt, his detective friend, and he's got a lead on a police death squad that killed protesters just after martial law was imposed right after the pulse went out. Uh, But he needs a class one sector pass. And since the New Year's riots, those are difficult to come by. And Matt tells him even he can't get them. But he also tells Logan to be careful since he knows Logan's not going to give up. And, you know, at that point, we can't help but notice that Logan's back in the chair because we, you know, we did see him at least walking with the cane at the end of the previous episode. Yep. All right. Well, we find out pretty quickly what Max wants the gas for. She shows up at Logan. I was a little surprised she brought the can inside his apartment, but I guess to be fair. Where are you going to leave it, right? Right. That it doesn't get stolen and asks him if he's ready. Apparently, they had a date to go into the mountains for some R&R, and he's doing what he's been doing. He starts blowing her off again. Yeah, acting all petulant and woe is me, and oh, I can't get up in the mountains and everything. But then he comes up with an alternate plan. He's got a plan B up his sleeve there. Well, right. Now, is he using his chair as an excuse to not get close to Max? Is he using, you know, these constant flow of leads as an excuse. Um, And that's one of the things that kind of gets looked at in this episode. And she even says it to him. It's like, you know, you can't save everybody, right? You can't right every wrong. You can't find justice for everybody. And she gets that. Yeah. And, you know, so I think what you said there about him using the chair to get between them, I'm not quite so sure about that. I know. I think that really what he's kind of back to being that Logan from the beginning of the season who is completely dedicated to, as you said, writing these wrongs and helping people and saving people. Uh, in, in that way, he's like Zach, right? He has, he's on mission all the time. And so refuses to let uh, personal entanglements kind of get in the way. Yeah. Well, it's almost as if he has guilt for something, you know, that, that, that it was his fault that, that, you know, the pulse happened, which is, of course, ludicrous. But either way, whatever it is, she's pissed and makes it clear that, you know, and we've talked about this, that they can still go and enjoy themselves even with the chair. You know, that, that you know, that it's not just that. They don't have to walk. They can still enjoy the mountain air. Tells her it doesn't matter since the checkpoint security have increased and boom, she holds up her two class one sector passes. You are not bailing on me. Yeah, and, and this is like Max's 
you know, she's also kind of single-minded and determined in obtaining her goals, right? And she's like, you know, she's got her heart set on something. She's not going to give up that easily. And in that way, those two are, are very much alike. They're, you know, they both kind of uh, are, I guess, stubborn would be the word, right? Yeah, no question. Um, but it just does seem as if she gets that even as people that are putting themselves out there, putting their lives on the line to to right wrongs, to you know help the downtrodden and all of that, at some time you got to take care of yourself, you know. And, and he just doesn't seem to want to accept that. But uh, you know, we talked about the lack of recognizable actors in Twelve Monkeys. We see the guest star in this episode, Ian Tracy, and obviously we know him most recently as one of the good guys at Mount Weather in The 100. Before that, right, before that, we know him as Jason Sadler in Continuum. And then uh, the villain, Adam Worth in Sanctuary, which is a show, you know, somewhere down the road, we'll have to talk about Sanctuary, whether or not we actually do it, uh, you know, as part of our, you know, look at a show's season or not. But it's certainly an important show that, um, you know, maybe some of the listeners know, maybe some of them don't. Sanctuary should Jeff definitely be on our list. That was a great, great show. Great. And it's a doable season, right? They're like six or eight episode seasons. Yeah. I can't remember. It was it's been like, a while. Well, there's only like four seasons, right? Something like that. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So, well, we find out June 1st, 2009 at 12.05 is when the pulse hit because the, you know, the clock in the little town that they go to, uh, you know, you know, kind of brings that out. Uh, and one thing in terms of uh, Dave's superficial fact of the night Max's hair seemed to have a lot more red in it in this episode. <laughs> you know some crazy things, man. I, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, well, redheads. Right. Um, anyway. All right. So so we've got this town, Cape Haven. And, uh, you know, right away they go to the town and they're stopped at the rednecks with the shotgun. We find out pretty quickly these people just wanted to be left alone. They wanted to get out of the city where, you know, the looting, the rioting was going on. And you get you know, what they're trying to do up there and you get why they're trying to protect it. Um, but well, yeah, and, it's also kind of more of, we're seeing the after effects of, of the pulse still all this time later, you know, just what this world is, is like, you know, it really is, I'm, I'm not going to say lawless because we see in Seattle, we see the police presence all over the place, but have we really felt the police presence? So, you know, that's kind of like the thing we, we see them all over, but yet we don't really get this feeling of them being under surveillance. And then here now we have out in the boonies, um, you know, everyone's armed to the teeth and very distrustful of any outsiders and everything. Well, right. And that's one of the things that really comes out of this episode, that, that whole idea, like you said, the, the lawlessness of the cities. And, you know, there's a lot of points it makes that are really salient now, especially in light of all the police shootings that have made the news. And, you know, the, the, the guy that he confronts, uh, Logan, that is, that even tells him, you don't know, you weren't there. It was kill or be killed. And you kind of get it. And, and you know, as we go through the episode, that's one of the things that Logan has to actually deal right. with. Well, this is kind of funny because um, This American Life, I don't know if you listen to that podcast, but they've just no, recently don't. done two shows uh, about, I think they're called Cops See It Differently. And they talk to both police officers and uh, 
you know, civilians about this whole thing, the relationship between, especially in inner cities and especially between uh, police officers and the African-American populations and kind of what the sentiments that that policeman was expressing. A lot of the, those police officers expressed kind of that s- same thing. You know, we're trying to protect you. We're trying to protect you from the bad guys. And of course, people on the other side say, yeah, but what if you kind of are the bad guys? You know, what if, you know, what, how, how far do you go in order to quote unquote protect, you know, what, to what extremes do you do if you're killing people that you claim to protect? You know, so it's this, it's, I don't mean to sound like there's a simple answer because obviously there isn't. Um, but you know, it's, it's an extremely complex issue, but yeah, it's funny that when you're watching this show that was made 14, 13, 14 years ago, that could have been made last week with the issues that it's dealing with here. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, in a 42-minute show, you can't really look at it in any depth, but the fact that they throw it out there, and like you just said, the fact that it was 14 years ago, and look, obviously we've had police shootings that have made the news before and police beatings. I mean, again, but like you said, it, it's it, it could just as easily happen now. But the one thing I really noticed early on, and and they really played it up, and and I thought, oh, Wayne's going to like this. Wayne had to notice that the heavy, creepy kid peering through the windows factor. You know, when we first get to the house, and I can remember you mentioning, God, can't even remember what our topic was, but. Uh, but, Something about creepy yeah, kids. Yeah, well, I think it, it came up uh, when we first talked about Supernatural Pilot, and then we actually did a list of, of creepy things, a top 10 list. And, and kids, were they were like number two or three, I think. Right, and what was great here is he turns out to be anything but creepy, uh, and you really end up really feeling for him because of what he's been through, uh, what he remembers and what he doesn't remember and and what he ends up remembering as a result of his experience with Max and Logan. So, uh, you know, one of the things this episode does is it kind of zeroes in on the multiple levels of the relationship between Max and Logan and, and obviously her assisting him in his, you know, uh, you know, bringing to justice of all these bad guys. What does he do for her? And and that kind of comes up in this episode a little bit. Yeah, and great. It's it's cool what he does. Like he proves he can be an action hero, uh, despite being in a wheelchair, um, and he can protect her. But also, I'm I'm like thinking, you know, what he does doesn't necessarily have to be like physical type stuff. You know, like he like what happened to being a friend or or more. You know, like how about emotional support and everything? Does it have to be? Like, to prove myself to you, i got to shoot a bunch of guys, right? Right, and it doesn't, and she has tried to make that clear, but, you know, of late, he's really been emotionally distant to her. And, you know, in this episode, it's she's the one that's helpless, and we certainly don't want to imply that when he's in his chair, he's helpless because this episode proves, if anything, that would be totally inaccurate because he takes over from his chair. And, you know, it's his mind, although he does bring up the fact that, you know, one of the advantages of being in a wheelchair, you have a lot of upper body strength. Right. Yeah. See, it did help him out there. Now, we, we've also got two stories of innocence 
dying. Of course, the people in the house who died from the generator accident, which of course was not an accident. And, and then the mystery surrounding Sage and the fire. Uh, and then the 18 protesters killed by police and whether or not they were actually innocents, we don't really get an answer to, but it's like we said a few minutes ago, it's that it raises that question and we need to think about it that, uh, you know, what are the police supposed to do when they're vastly outnumbered and they're being, you know, physically threatened and the firemen uh, are being fired upon and things like that. So it, it, you know, it just wants us to, I think, examine that issue. It doesn't give us any answers. Right. But, but history is rife with times when you you shot your gun and bad things happen. You know, namely the Boston Massacre here in America, yeah. uh, Bloody yeah. Sunday in Northern Ireland. You know, it's like there's times that you know there, there's plenty of examples of when when the authorities get to the point where they shoot into a crowd of people. The repercussions of that are can be terrible. Yeah, absolutely, and very often, like the ones you mentioned, lead to full scale revolution. Right. So now, you know, to kind of get away from the heavy stuff that we've just been talking about, Max just wants to experience a normal getaway weekend, and then when she finds out Logan's planned a working trip, well, yeah, she's pissed, but she she says, you know what, I'm still I'm kicking back. And I'm making s'mores with you or without you. And I like that. I, I I like that she's pissed that he deceived her. But I also like that she just goes with the flow, you know, figuring that, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to have a good time no matter what. And, okay, well, I was just going to say so many times we see shows like this where the characters just simply move from crisis to crisis with no pause in between. And, you know, while the that turns out to be the case in this episode as well. Max has no choice but to sit this one out because of the problems she's having physically. Right, which, as we said before, provides Logan this opportunity to be the white knight, right? To be the big hero for who once he saves Max rather than Max having to come in and bail him out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we see Max is experiencing all these seizures and the tryptophan doesn't seem to completely eliminate them. Uh, obviously, she's certainly, you know, swallowing them by the handful. And at first, we're wondering why. But, you know, she suspects that it's the implant that's still in her from that Red Series episode. And obviously, we have to conclude that she's going to have to have that removed at some point. Yeah, which could be a very tricky procedure. Is Logan throwing himself into his work to avoid dealing with his physical relapse? Or is he just one of these people that he just can't rest while there's injustice out there? And, and you know, like we said earlier, Max alludes to the fact that, you know, then you're never going to rest because there's always going to be something to do, some right to wrong. And she's willing to take a break and that doesn't make her a bad person, you know? Yeah, I think he kind of like he's an extreme personality, right? And so he kind of swings through these extremes of, on the one hand, this melancholy was just well wallowing in self-pity. And then on the other end, it's this manic, you know, you know, and almost self-righteous energy that he has. And in, in some might say sanctimonious, um, like when he's talked to the cop, you know, he's just like, Innocent people died. So, you know, you need to tell me what happened. Um, 
you know, like the, taking this moral high ground, not considering any kind of gray areas. Like for him, it's right, all right, and all wrong. And likewise, he swings between intense manic energy to, you know, depressive self-pitying. Yeah, yeah, no question. And now you mentioned uh, talking to the guy, he's trying to track down this former Seattle police department cop who might have information about the police chief that he thinks is responsible for 18 deaths at the hands of the cops. And when he talks to the guy, the, the former cop explains that he saw the situation much differently than Logan does. And just after the pulse, things were getting out of control. Demonstrators were inciting riot. And he says, we were protecting people like you, you know, people that had something to lose. And, you know, on the one hand, that does sound kind of elitist, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, but then he brings up the fact that snipers were killing cops, firemen. And, you know, Logan's taking this hands-off approach and the cops trying to get across that drastic measures were required. You just weren't there. And, you know, as this guy's telling the story, as we said, it's, it just sounds eerie, eerily familiar to some of the arguments we're seeing now. But it really gives you pause to consider whether or not something like this could happen in the present United States. And if it did, and when I say if it could happen, you know, something that tremendously disrupts, you know, in this case, the economic system, would we fall into rioting and chaos? I think without a doubt, right? I mean, um, I I think about this often because especially we're so reliant upon electronic things. How far removed are we from even being able to survive should that all go away? Should the the power go out like in revolution, would we be able to get water to drink and food to eat? I, I, I think that's kind of the axiom of civilization. And you look at almost every great civilization that has ever existed, yeah. um, which has gone up to a golden age. And then something happens, you know, Rome falls and Europe descends into 500 years of infighting and ignorance. Right. And so like a couple of years later, some guy looking up at the aqueduct says, wow, what, what, what what incredible giants must have made that thing, you know? Like, what space aliens must have come down? What gods must have created that, you know, just maybe 100 or 200 years after the fall of Rome? So, yeah, unquestionably that would happen here in America. Scary thought, that's for sure. But, uh, all right, so they're in Cape Haven. Oh, I got and- plenty of those, Dave. Just keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, we're in Cape Haven, the town that uh, they go for the getaway. Why does there always have to be a bar fight? You know, because bar fights are cool. Uh, I mean, we get that Max, even even one that's not at the top of her game, can kick ass. Uh, but she and Logan have a have a brief tiff after he tries to uh, make Max breakfast in the fire after the bar fight. Uh, he was pushed over in his chair. But we're introduced to the son of the woman who rents them the house, and she immediately has this bond with Max and he even says, you know, tell me your secret and I'll tell you mine. <laughs> and she responds, you know, yeah, you know, he's, he's taking tryptophan too. He also has trouble sleeping and then he has a secret. So I'm like, wait, were you part of project Manticore as well? Uh, well I right. He half expected him to turn around and show her his barcode, but uh, his right. hair wasn't long <laughs> enough to cover it. Um, but you know, it, it was cool to see that bond and, and, he says he sees one of the dead kids from the from that fire 
in the house. And we're wondering, okay, is this some sort of a ghost? And, you know, it's starting to give us all the markings of a horror mystery movie. But then Max sees the scars on Sage's chest and hand and deduces correctly that he was in the fire. I'm not sure then. Well, I do. I mean, she makes that leap to let's go dig up the grave and see what's in it, which of course it's empty. And it's like, well, he didn't die in that fire. He's alive. Sage is Sam Gillen. Yeah, which it's kind of disappointing, actually, because I was hoping for a ghost element here. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, But then we're, you know, we're so we're led to this fire that took place 10 years prior. Uh, After the pulse, the police went into the cities to put down the rioting. So they basically left these uh, rural towns on their own. And the people in Cape Haven, B.C. and the others uh, attacked this family and burned their house down because they were outsiders. And we learned that they were middle Eastern. And uh, this is obviously previous that this episode aired, you know, like eight or nine months before nine 11. I mean, certainly we had been involved in, in the middle East in, in, in other ways, but uh, you know, it, it certainly kind of was a precursor to, you know, the way a lot of Americans viewed Middle Eastern people after 9-11. And, you know, here we are eight months before that. Right. Like some, like a, a, a Sikh was pulled out of his car and, and killed. Right. But I mean, like we, it's, here's TV, art imitating life or actually life imitating art, I guess, you know, uh, after 9-11, some people went and did ridiculous things like that. You know, it's, it's, to, to, like it's, Sikhs aren't Arabs, I hate to tell you, but, you know, it was, yeah, it's just all that, again, you put people into uh, hectic positions when they're in scary situations, and they do, you know, ridiculous things, basically, stupid things. Yeah, well, it doesn't take us long to figure out that BC and his buddies were responsible for this fire, and, and, and basically everything that's going on is them trying to make sure that the truth doesn't come out. And, you know, they go to the cabin. They want to get the boy and kill the woman who claims she's his aunt. And we, we find out that she's really not. She's just pretty much adopted him. Um, and then the, the guy that Logan came to see originally, who's, I guess, kind of the ad hoc sheriff, shows up and tells him to leave. Uh, he ends up getting shot and killed in the interim. But his dying words to Logan are that he doesn't know who gave the order. They all did the shooting kill or be killed so whether or not that's true that he didn't know i guess is irrelevant at this point but right and then there's the killer be killed right i mean that's going to kind of be the theme for the rest of this episode yeah now really where we see and again i don't want to imply like like you were kind of saying a few minutes ago the whole idea that bravery and heroism means that you get physical that you've got a gun you're killing people whatever because that's absurd but max is incapacitated they're coming after him a guy in a wheelchair and a little kid but they've got a plan logan and sage prepare to defend themselves when bc and his thugs return they are siphoning gas they reinforce the house i wasn't sure what the heck he was painting those x's on the wall for it initially yeah. uh, but you know you know what that is though no right it's home alone oh uh, okay that the, it's, it's just like home alone man like he's like setting all these things up because when, when we're watching have home alone the little kid is like setting up all these traps and we don't know what they are yet and then the hilarity in that case, in this case, gruesomeness comes from uh, discovering exactly what 
these things that he's doing are and all these jump cuts. I, I didn't realize. I mean, I have seen Home Alone, but I guess I for, forgot about all that, you know, even the tripwire. Uh, but Logan does give him a vest. I'm not sure where he got that from, he, you know, and that it did seem to fit Sage. But um, BC returns and Sage flashes back to 2009 and the fire. Um, and he was too young then to do anything. I mean, he's paralyzed with fear and he's initially paralyzed with fear now. And, and gosh, you get, I mean, you think of all the things to be afraid of fire is certainly the top of my list. Yeah. Well, and this kid, especially, uh, fire plays a big part in his trauma there. So, yeah. Um, and that, you know, his flashback shows that his mother hid him in a closet, but that he froze once the fire started. And, you know, the question, I guess he, is asking himself even though he was just a child could he have saved his parents and the answer is probably no yeah he was just gotten killed himself right yeah i mean at best he might have barely been able to rouse them but it it looked like they were pretty much um, unconscious from the smoke and the other question then what do we learn about logan kale in this episode and i mean we, we learn a few things but i mean one that we've kind of been dancing around is he just being naive when he's trying to exact justice for these events that were virtually impossible to control. Yeah. He's definitely got, as I said before, like kind of an overworked sense of self-righteousness. Yeah. I mean, is he going to have to stop seeing things as simply black and white and just at some point accept that they're gray, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what's, what's kind of driving me crazy about Logan, I guess. I still love the character. I think he's a great character. Uh, But you know, this idea that he just goes from one extreme to the other and he can't, you know, kind of try to come to some place in the middle where he can say, all right, I can still be, you know, a viable human being, though I'm in the chair. I can still do good in the world, but not have to try and correct every single wrong that's ever occurred in the history of mankind, you know. It's- right. And, and you know, you, you mentioned being in the chair and, and, and we've certainly seen it before. But, you know, it was certainly much more extreme in this episode that he stands up to the thugs, you know, even in the bar, even though he gets knocked down in the process, um, he just keeps getting up. And, uh, you know, certainly that's, I I think, emblematic of the kind of person he is. But the other thing, maybe the most important thing that we learn about him in this episode is that this is apparently the first time he's killed a man and he's killed four. Four, yeah. Like, it's quite a coming out party he's had here. Yeah, wow. and and it's something that you know he and Max don't really talk about, but you know she does kind of you know a, again give him uh, you know comfort in the fact that he had no choice. You know it was either literally kill, kill or, or be, be killed. killed, right? Um, yeah, and I, you know, I, I I I found it, I guess ironic that he got one of his ideas from Herm, you know the the ex cop who said how people were putting, you know, tripwires up at neck level for firemen when they came in. And that's exactly what he does to one of the baddies there, right? Yeah. You know, I have to go back and watch. I mean, I watched the episode twice and, and I think he shot one of the guys, killed him twice, but I could, I could be wrong. Oh, could you be, think? Could it be seemed, a continuity. There was a point where I thought there was more guys still alive than should be. All right. Well, we get to the closing scene and, you know, it's the aftermath of the shootout. Uh, you know, the Gillens were attacked because they were outsiders and people thought they knew about the pulse ahead of time, which apparently was a common theme 
you know, in in the context of the show, uh, Max tells Sage he's lucky to have somebody like the doctor and aunt that cares for him, and he tells her, "You're lucky too," which we assume he means Logan, and it prompts a big smile from her, which kind of is what Logan wants. Logan wants to be that protector. He got to do that, you know. Yeah, and then the best line of the show where she tells Matt, uh, she tells Logan, it's good to know that when the superheroes otherwise occupied, the sidekick's ready to step in. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> but, you know, it's it'll be interesting down the road, do we see, because Logan's now got to deal with the fact that he's killed somebody. And he's certainly he could... It, well, right. And, and, you know, perhaps you could argue that there have been things that he's done in the past, actions that he took that led to somebody's death, but to actually pull the trigger so to speak in or in this, this case, case uh, you know he jams the knife into the guy right right that is right up close right in your face killing right and then you know in the final voiceover max talks about getting more than you bargained for when looking for where the bodies are buried and and i was trying to make some sort of a connection there to you know the overall arc but i really couldn't i don't know if you had any thoughts on that i did and i found the voiceover at the end completely and utterly extraneous and unnecessary okay <laughs> okay that was the connection i made i was like uh, I mean, they're just putting it there just to, in that I, I felt like it was just shoved in there just to be there you know oh we always end with a voiceover so let's try to come up with some you know some clever voiceover that will you know underscore the theme of the entire episode and it just fell flat. It just, it, you know, just, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue also that, that you know, she's trying to comment on the fact that Logan, you know, if you keep turning over all of these rocks, you know, sometimes bad things are going to happen, even though you intended to, you know, end it uh, with something good happening. But I don't know. So yeah. anything else you want to say on this one? Um, well, we just that we'd mentioned the um, Home Alone bit there. Um, we failed to mention though the doorknob in the hand, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Because <laughs> the kid grabs, he's like, ah, and he's got. I saw he had it burned in his hand. I know he didn't get burned in his hand just there, but you know the having the doorknob burned into his hand is totally like that guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, that was just on a uh last week as a matter of fact they're digging in the wrong place you know overall i thought you know really good episode you know again maybe 8.5 uh at one point i thought about a nine but then as we were talking about it you know really good episode i really enjoyed it uh, especially coming on the heels of episode 15 where i was kind of lukewarm so yeah yeah i liked it i liked it. it was kind of a you know quote unquote monster of the week type episode it was a standalone right and um yeah but I, I it was think about it logan well. not max you know what's that it was about logan right. not max yeah yeah which i i think i've been kind of wanting, cause I, I want i want i want to see logan pull himself up out of this depression i wanted yep. to see him stop feeling sorry for himself and getting out there and doing things did he have to kill four people no he didn't have to kill four people but just to see him back in the game out there wanting to help people out rather than feeling sorry for himself. I thought that was great. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about Dark Angel or anything else you think we should be watching. Uh, I'd like to also encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. 
emails to sci-fi tv rewatched at gmail.com or voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the sci-fi tv rewatch website we'll be back next week to discuss dark angel season one episode 17 titled shorties in love and i have no idea who that is I, referring I, to i think it's probably gonna i think we're gonna see some kids in this one which could backfire but until then well dave we're now at episode 100 and i know this hurts but you can't hide from it anymore <laughs>